Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are here to break down everything that happened in the world of WWE over the last week. We will be recapping SmackDown. Raw will be talking plenty of CM Punk. All of that coming up momentarily for your ear holes. Before we get into today's show, allow me to kick things off as we normally do here on Getting Over with a reminder that this podcast is all about Defy. So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and Go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, the Silver King Adam Silverstein, and Vintage Chris Vanini. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating for the show on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the program. And let me also stress, we could use some more five-star ratings over on Spotify. There is literally nothing else for you to do but click that fifth star. It registers. It's super easy. So if you are our growing audience of Spotify listeners, we greatly appreciate those of you who have found the show. Please click that five star. We would greatly appreciate it. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. You can also tweet and DM us questions and comments that we will add to the show as applicable. Please also remember, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over sign up. You will get bonus audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling, instant reaction shows. You will also get exclusive news posts every single Friday. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Now, Chris, Welcome to the show. It's great to have you here as always. We're here to talk WWE, but before we actually started recording today, you and I broke down our schedules a little bit so that we could put together those two premium year-end shows that I know our listeners love. Of course, coming up first near the end of the month will be the 2023 year in review. And I got to tell you, man, last year we did the 2022 year in review and we said wrestling will never be as wild as it was in 2022 and 2023 came back and said, hold my damn beer because this was just as wild, if not more so over the last 12 months. And then either in late December or very early January, we will have the 2023 getting over awards, AKA the meaties. And those will be coming to your ear holes very soon. We also need your input and your opinions on those awards. So be sure to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. This week, we will begin nominations for those 2023 Getting Over Awards, aka The Meaties. Every single category we will post about will give you the initial nominations up front. You will have the ability to nominate your own wrestlers, matches, promos, whatever the appropriate category is. And then we will publish a ballot where all of you are getting overheads, those who follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast or can otherwise find the link, which will be tweeted there, uh, you will get the opportunity to vote in those awards. And of course, we will present you a special show at the end of the year or super early 
in 2023. Chris, we love doing this podcast all year, obviously, but I got to tell you, the little package of shows that we've created for the end of years, and it's really been since the beginning of the podcast that we've been doing it, I love them. They energize me. It's a lot of work, but it always feels rewarding by the time we're done. Yeah, and it's it's important to remember, like, there's stuff that happened in January, February that I completely forgot happened or forgot happened this year. It's really like our day jobs, college football and pro wrestling have had some of the craziest years they've ever had in the last mm-hmm. couple of years. So going through, looking back at those, handing out awards, it, it's a reason to go back and watch some things that we hadn't watched in a long time. And I, I sometimes like doing that. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it comes at the end of the year. Got a lot going on, but we love doing them and looking forward to getting into that again and always glad we uh include the listeners on that we, we love your feedback on everything especially when it comes to uh this type of voting yeah and that's why we open nominations because it's like you and i are going to remember plenty but we're not going to remember everything for example this year i think we're probably going to introduce a new award either entrance of the year or pop of the year or something like that and sure like cm punk returning to wwe at the end of survivor series war games that's definitely going to be nominated but you know what else was this year Bad Bunny in Puerto Rico, Sami Zayn yeah. in Montreal, like uh, those guys winning the tag team championship, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens at WrestleMania, which obviously the entrance was sick. But if we're doing a pop, then winning the titles, that was one of the biggest pops of the entire year. So it's like all of these things literally happened in the last 12 months. And I know some people may be rolling their eyes at that. But for you and I, given how much we're invested, not just in wrestling, but sports and, and college football, almost I don't want to say exclusively for you, but a lot for you. But for me, college football, the NFL, everything else that I have to do with work, it's easy to forget some of these crazy moments and incredible wrestlers and great matches and whatever the case might be. So that is why we open up the nominations. And we love the fact that sometimes we'll forget to nominate someone or something. Someone else will nominate them. It'll go on the ballot and it'll win. And that's almost the best part of it when like someone finds a gap that we've missed. So that's why we do do the awards that way. That's also why we do the year in review before we get to the awards, because it's always important to wrap up everything that happened in the entire news cycle of professional wrestling, not just discuss the best of the best. So both of those coming soon, the getting over year in review, the 2023 getting over awards, a.k.a. The meaties bonus performance enhancing audio before the year is out and early in 2024. All right. With all of that out of the way, I'm glad we got a chance to discuss it. We're not going to waste any more time on today's show. We got a ton to talk about from the world in WWE, and we are going to kick it off like we always do right here on Getting Over by sliding into the main event. This is the main event. And you probably would have guessed it coming into the show, but the entirety of this week's main event is CM Punk. He opened hour two of SmackDown on Friday, taking a long look at a fan's World Heavyweight Championship title on his way to the ring. He remarked that he's not in the main event segment, so his time won't be cut. And then he led fans on like a longer CM Punk chant. Punk said he'd let the fans decide where he signs. He teased both a Royal Rumble entry and a WrestleMania main event. He noted that some are bothered by the happy-go-lucky Punk, so he would get spicy. Then he asked who fans wanted him to talk about rather than what, like Cody does, and acknowledged Roman Reigns, noting that Reigns is never actually there, and Punk is the OG Paul Heyman guy. He wondered whether he should go to Raw and hang out with Jey Uso 
or stay on SmackDown and scrap it up with Jimmy Uso and Solo Sokoa. Punk wondered whether Randy Orton would side with him, but was sure LA Knight would get his back. He said he's probably a little bit too much like Kevin Owens as a couple of guys who randomly punch people backstage. Kevin's a little bit prickly, and I mean to say is that him and I are probably too much alike. And I don't know who would feel comfortable working with somebody who randomly just punches people in the face backstage. I mean, it's 2023, ladies and gentlemen. You just can't be doing stuff like that. That's insane. <laughs> uh, Punk finally got around to saying one guy hasn't welcomed him back and he's not even the man in his own household. Fans then sang Seth Rollins' theme and Punk said the song is all he's got without mentioning his name. Punk added that he's meeting with Nick Aldis. He's got his call scheduled with Shawn Michaels about NXT and he'll make his final decision Monday on Raw after speaking with Adam Pearce. Punk then said he's the monkey wrench in everyone reaching their goals and he's not back to finish his story but to finish what he started, main eventing WrestleMania. And then later backstage, Cody didn't like that Punk wanted to win the Royal Rumble, but he welcomed him back and he shook his hand anyway. This promo, and that was just a slice of it, obviously, that I played, was everything that we and everyone listening, I'm sure, wanted and more than that, expected during his initial Raw promo. That yes. makes it all the more frustrating, Chris, that it happened 13 days later instead of 48 hours after his return at Survivor Series War Games. But this promo, and again, that was just a piece of it, this was a masterclass. Like, literally, the guy is in a class of his own on the mic when he's given the opportunity like he was here. Punk started really hot with the remark about not getting enough time on his debut promo, got a huge babyface pop throughout the first third of it, then he threw some factual and fun shots at Reigns. Then he expertly waded his way into a perfectly worded AEW remark. We'll talk more about that in a minute. And then finally, he turned the focus to his actual goal, which was not only insulting Rollins without uttering his name, but making it clear that his goal is basically to fight him in the main event of WrestleMania. This was alluded to further, I mentioned it earlier, by the way he glanced at that fan's title during his entrance. What was nice to see was the crowd actually turning on him a little bit when he shit-talked Rollins. In the past, they would just say, oh, well, Punk doesn't like someone, we're gonna boo them and cheer for him. So there was a huge positive that they didn't do that, and there's more about that we'll talk about when we get to Raw on Monday night. It was also great that Punk showed up in more than one segment. This promo, yes. though, was pitch perfect. It was Punk at his best, granted, with a bit of a leash. If he's normally 50-50 work shoot, in WWE, he's probably 75, 25, but that's okay. I'll repeat, it is a shame that we did not get this initially that night on Raw because imagine how hot WWE would have been coming out of Survivor Series into Raw, coming out of this promo to possibly end that show on Monday night. The, their ability to capitalize on that would have been immense. And don't get me wrong, they're not hurting. They're still immensely popular and they're selling tickets and people are tuning in to see CM Punk. But it just feels like if you had transported this 13 days earlier, it would have hit even harder. We had to wait two weeks to get it, Chris, but at least we got it. Yes, and I do wonder if part of that was because they wanted to let the Randy Orton thing play out first, you mm, know? Maybe. Uh, let Randy Orton decide between Raw and SmackDown, then have CM Punk do it. it we, we talked about it at 
Survivor Series, which was it was weird. They had two major comebacks on the same show. So they, they had to kind of find a way to balance that. We'll talk about the AW reference in just a minute. The promo as a whole, this was a reminder of why he is one of the greatest talkers of all time. It's been really interesting to see him come back into WWE and immediately go right back into WWE promo style mm-hmm. with a little with his own little twist on it for a while. And, and and that's what he's so good at. It's it was weird to hear him say superstar again, <laughs> you know? Right. But he said it like it was nothing. Like like it's been 10 years and he's come back to that and and, and he just even when he was in AEW, he was just different on the mic compared to everybody else because I think he's had that experience on the biggest stage for a long time. I did think, you know, the storyline of should I sign with Raw or SmackDown, whatever. Sure, yeah. The crowd boos when he says signing to Raw. That's so weird to me because it's not like we've got Raw towns and SmackDown towns and all that. It's all the same thing. Like, even back in the first, you know, the early 2000s when they did the first roster split, it was always just weird to me. Like, who cares what show he's on? I'm not rooting for one show over the other, but that was just a, a little thing for me. The the roar when he says Roman Reigns' name mm-hmm. was loud. Like, like that is very clearly one of the big things to get to at some point. And I'll say this a couple of times probably while we're talking about punk, but this was the correct way to use him, like you said, backstage. Mm-hmm. And it, the same thing happened on Raw. You get him around a lot of people in and, and, and people he's never been around before. Kevin Owens signed with WWE after Punk left. Oh, yeah. Like there, there are there are so many things in WWE that are different. New people from compared to when CM Punk left. So it's not even like we're coming back to something. We're getting something for the first time. And that is really cool. And, and that is exactly how you do it. I'm thinking we're getting all these interactions, CM Punk and Damian Priest, CM Punk and Kevin Owens, CM Punk and all these people he's never been face to face with. And we got just a ton of them over two episodes. And that was extremely exciting. It was. It was a huge positive. But the point that you made, I was going to discuss it a little bit later, but you're a thousand percent right. It does make zero sense for the crowd to give a shit whether he signs <laughs> with SmackDown or Raw. It is completely contrived because... It's not like, to your example, Des Moines, Iowa is a SmackDown city and Cleveland, Ohio is a Raw city. And therefore, if CM Punk signs to Raw, then Cleveland will see him twice a year, but Des Moines won't. Number one. It's not the NL NL and the AL. Right. And and number one, most of the shows, like if you live anywhere and, 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 you know, if you're someone who does attend WWE events, most likely 52 or 50 weeks of the year, potentially, you're watching from home anyway. So, you know, you're not going to not watch SmackDown because CM Punk is on Raw. And you know what I mean? Like, no one really does that. The The reason why SmackDown ratings are higher is because they're on broadcast television and there's a couple more casual people who tune in. But it's mostly the same audience watching Raw and SmackDown every single week. So it really does not matter in reality where he goes. Therefore, people cheering when he signs with Raw or SmackDown or whatever the case, the only one that would actually be worth cheering is if he went to NXT, just because it would be yeah. so crazy. Like, it'd be so crazy and unique and, and different. Um, but Raw and SmackDown, it's it's the same but, show. But, one has blue food coloring, one has red food coloring. You know? And he's, But he sold it. That, that's what I mean he did. by like, him yeah, he coming did. back to WWE mode, which was like, I'm saying superstar. I'm hyping up to I sign up to Raw or SmackDown, even though this stuff doesn't matter. And so he, he really has gone all in 
on being back in WWE. He's not in WWE, but I want to do things my own way. I'm going to say wrestling. he's bought in. Like, yeah. No, he, he's completely bought in yeah. to the WWE style. That has been co- totally evident over these first couple of weeks. It is. But let's also, pre- you know, kind of preface that comment or, or clarify the comment. He's bought in for now. <laughs> Anything can change sure. at any given point. But so far, so good to that end. And I will also correct one thing I just said. I said Raw and SmackDown are the same show with just different food coloring. That's actually not true. I have a huge preference for Raw right now as a viewer, just in, ter- yep. in terms of like, even though the show is longer, which is usually more difficult to watch, that length gives them time to do a lot more backstage segments, a lot more intriguing deals. The wrestling is better on Raw pretty much every single week. I like the talent of the show more. So as a viewer, I actually am happy that he went to Raw over SmackDown. It's just, if I was in the crowd, I wouldn't cheer for him to do one or the other. But like legitimately, it would have been worse if he was on SmackDown compared to Raw. Raw does make more sense for him. Raw has a ton more, no pun intended here, superstars. It does. They just do. They've they've got Cody, Seth, Becky Lynch, uh, Judgment Day. They've just they've got everything. Uh, Jey Uso, like Sammy Zayn, so much more. They've just Drew McIntyre. Yeah, Sammy. Yeah, there's so much more going on. Gunther on Raw than there, than there is on SmackDown. Literally, yeah. actually, my, my brother texted me during the show last night, and he goes, "Normally, I, I used to like SmackDown a lot more, but I'm really liking yeah. Raw a lot more right now, and I'm I'm the same way." Raw's an immensely better show. There was that two week span where I thought SmackDown was better, but it just on a week to week basis, Raw is way more for me than probably anything else right now. We're actually somewhat jumping ahead. Let's go back, because you mentioned we were going to talk about that AEW reference, the one I played a moment ago. I love that WWE actually set this up through those KO segments the last couple (laughs) of weeks, right? Like, think how smart it was to do that so CM Punk could then say that. I would say maybe 10% of the crowd actually understood what he was talking about. You heard it on the clip that we played. He thought he was going to get like a, Oh, type of reaction. And he just didn't. I am of the full belief that people sitting on their couches reacted to that stronger than people did in the arena. Many of whom are kids and parents taking their kids, maybe a little bit more casual fans. And while that was unfortunate because those broken kayfabe moments are so few and far between in WWE, there are two things to note about it. Number one, he did the best he could to deliver that without breaking an NDA or any other agreements he might have about mentioning AEW. And number two, this goes to show, and I I don't want anyone to misunderstand what I'm saying here, but it goes to show how irrelevant AEW and the backstage shenanigans in AEW are to the casual wrestling viewer, the WWE fan. And you know what? For WWE, that's a huge positive because Punk's return does not need to be about anything that happened over the last couple of years in AEW. And I would bet they fully move on from the brawl out of it all after that promo. I bet you they never mention it again. Or if they do mention it again, it's way in the future, like in the build to WrestleMania, and that's a one-off thing. It's not something they're going to concentrate on. I thought it was really smart, Chris, to like feed a piece of meat to the IWC animals And I'm glad that they treated it with a smirk and a shrug instead of doing just the insult stuff that AEW does when it talks about WWE. Yes. And when he said this, I 
fell out of my couch. I, I, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe he's saying this. This is hilarious. The smirk is funny. The collar tug, all that kind of stuff. He nailed it. He did. And then I, and then I went back and watched it again. And I realized, yeah, there's like no crowd reaction to that. And it goes back to what you and I have been saying for a couple of years now. And that is WWE finally has the crowds it has always wanted. Mm -hmm. And a big reason for that is because AEW took the smarks with them. You know, it used to be that NXT crowd was also in WWE. They take over the Raw after WrestleMania and all that kind of stuff. They're mostly gone to AEW now. And there's not nearly as many of those kinds of people at the WWE shows. And that is in some ways not as good because you like those and you, you, you love to have kind of that edgy energy. But in other ways, WWE crowds for the most part have been delivering. Oh, yeah. Like everything that especially in the Triple H era crowd. I mean, we know that the crowd, the stadiums have been bigger, bigger crowds, and they're, they're following along with everything that WWE wants them to do. And that makes for a more enjoyable television product because you, you feel that energy. So I don't like I don't think we're going to get many more AEW references or any of that kind of stuff. And they don't need to. They, they gave you this little bit. It, it, it reached it reached out to the people that it was supposed to reach out to. But if, if you're if you're just a lifelong WWE fan who doesn't really pay attention to AEW or doesn't have enough time or you're a kid or whatever, you have no idea what that's in reference to. And you don't really care mm -hmm. because you've grown up with WWE as the only thing that you know is wrestling. And if it doesn't happen within WWE, it just doesn't cross your, your mind. You're, 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 you're watching. So, or you just watch would, AEW, Chris, and you don't dig into the online shit. You're just a casual yeah, fit. There are casual, like there's casual NFL fans who watch the game Sundays with their significant others. And that's all they know. They don't dig in and watch the press conferences and see who's injured and why a team lost a game. And it's very similar with wrestling. You could just be, a casual AEW viewer who maybe also watches WWE. You're like, he was there. Now he's here. Things didn't go well. I heard there was a fight, but like, that's all, you know. Like, so he says that and you shrug. You're like, okay. It, like I this happens all the time when I go back and watch the attitude era when I was a kid watching it at the time. And there are so many references to things like the click and WCW and Atlanta that went completely over my head as a kid. I, I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I didn't think about it. And so that's kind of what this is. So I don't want anybody right. to to say, oh, WWE crowds didn't react to AEW. It's another sign that AEW is not breaking through, that they're struggling. No, 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 no. This wasn't an AEW storyline. You only know about this if you really like looked into it, you know? To and a so degree, I think yeah. That's a, yeah, and I, so I think that's a major reason. If you're not following up on wrestling news, you, you, just, you didn't get it. And, and that's okay. But again, it's wrestling news for the number two brand, which is a distant number two. If it was backstage WWE stuff, then more people would have reacted to it in the crowd, you know, because people well, do follow that yeah. more. We will. We'll get to that. Uh, we'll also get to that on the Raw segment with CM Punk, too, sure. because it kind of plays into that as well. To your other point, WWE not having to deal with those protest chants and those protest fans anymore. You are right that a vast majority of them just went to AEW and said, this is the alternative. This is what we've wanted and I'm good and I'm not coming back and that's it. There's also a significant portion that have been turned back to WWE. I'm not saying from AEW, but they say, hey, wait, the product's better. Like people are actually liking it. Okay, I'll watch again. And they're watching something that appeals to their sensibilities 
and they actually don't have a reason to protest. So yes, many did leave, but also a lot just stayed and began liking what they were being given. And people are coming back and the audience that is growing, which is amazing that the audience is growing, this is what they know. You know, the, the, the people who mm-hmm. listen to Impulsive, right? Logan Paul's podcast, and are like, I want to see Logan Paul wrestle and watch him on WrestleMania. And then say, you know what? This is actually pretty cool. I want to watch this. They're watching it and they're enjoying what they're being given. You know what I mean? They're not yes. protesting it because this person did the job and this person didn't win a championship in two months. And, you know, whatever the case might be, all the stuff that we've been conditioned to think and feel by being online and on Reddit and on Twitter and wherever else, a lot of the audience that WWE is adding is their unique television watching audience. And that's a huge positive for them as a brand and as a company. Uh, But you did mention Raw, and I'm ready to move on unless you had anything else that you wanted to wrap up SmackDown with. Yep, let's do it. All right. So there was another remixed promo package for CM Punk early on Raw. And while the SmackDown promo didn't need sprucing up like the Raw one did from a week ago, it was cut together expertly well. Punk opened hour two with Adam Pierce introducing him, suggesting their 25-year relationship would be the deciding factor in him signing with Raw. Punk said, we have a tough decision to make, and he recalled his rough history in Cleveland, including walking out of WWE. He said Indy Hartwell told him it crushed her as a kid, so he apologized for doing it. Punk said Pierce put together the best offer, even though the others were intriguing, and he couldn't write it better than returning where he walked out in Cleveland on Raw, which was now his home. Michael Cole on commentary pointed out that Punk was now exclusive to Raw, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Seth Rollins immediately came out, got right in his face with holy shit chants, followed by dueling Rollins singing and CM Punk chants, with the singing easily winning out and overcoming the CM Punk chants. Rollins said Punk can never call WWE home because he abandoned it 10 years ago and actively tried to tear it down with slander. Facts. Rollins then broke the fourth wall looking into the camera, saying, WWE is the home of his brothers and sisters backstage, his family, which are the fans in the crowd and those watching on TV, and he will do whatever he needs to protect all of it from Punk. Rollins plainly stated he hates Punk, but if he is back in WWE, he wants him on Raw because everyone knows it's his last chance. He'll either self-destruct or if he's changed, maybe he'll actually get a shot at the World Heavyweight Championship so Rollins can wrestle circles around Punk, expose him as a fraud, and prove that he's actually the best in the world. Punk said, are you done? Which reminded me of John Cena's fine speech line. He's, you know, yeah. I forgot who it was against off the top of my head right now, but someone cut a long ass promo on him and he goes, fine speech. And then he, it was punk. It, it was punk. No, I think it was Roman Reigns, wasn't it? No, no, it was punk. That that's in the that's in the Money in the Bank promo video back in 2011. Oh, it was punk uh, who did who that's with? It was, okay. it was the punk Vince McMahon bit and then Cena comes out. One of my favorite promo segments of all. Time. That makes it even more appropriate. There you go. Um, he gave Punk said that he gave Rollins enough space to disrespect him for one last time, but he's planning to do it the hard way by winning the Royal Rumble and maybe going after Rollins, presumably instead of Roman Reigns. This was pretty damn great, man. Rollins Ooh. was totally on point with his promo, but I couldn't help but wish he wasn't wearing a purple sequined suit while he was doing it. I know, (laughs) exactly. Imagine. Weeks and weeks and weeks of talking about this and it built up to this moment and it took away from it. Imagine how much better, Chris, it would have been if he was cooking like this 
while wearing like black or really anything less flashy, like any other type of clothing that wasn't purple and sequined probably would have worked. But this was easily Rollins' best promo of the year. And I'm sure some are going to suggest it was one of his best ever, at least as a babyface. One minor issue was neither of them took the heel side. So the crowd wasn't completely sure what to do from a response standpoint. I do think that was purposeful though. Rollins' promo also didn't go deep enough into how Punk shit on WWE every chance he got. But my guess is they're gonna save a lot of that vitriol for the WrestleMania feud because you can't give all of that away now if they are gonna go face-to-face and you need to build a WrestleMania match. Sometimes you gotta have patience when it comes to stuff like that. But there was no doubt that you could feel the enormity of this moment. The face-to-face was epic, getting all of that heat without saying a word at first. That one line, I will show you that there are levels to this. I will wrestle circles around you and I will let you understand in real time what it means to be best in the world. Holy shit. The blurred lines between reality and kayfabe, the stare down, Punk's facial expressions while Seth was talking, even Rollins admitting there is at least a remote possibility that Punk has changed. All of that was perfect. Punk was a bit long-winded on his own to start when he was talking to Pierce about Raw, SmackDown, all that. But the concepts and execution here were absolutely nailed. This was the hardest that Rollins has gone at someone in a long time. And as Jim Ross used to say, after this, folks, business just picked up. Yeah, imagine if Rollins had said that wearing like an all-black suit, you know? Like imagine how it would have just hit a little bit more than, than that. So my first note, which you just finished with, Punk was rambling a little bit to start. Mm-hmm. And he talks about, the. he says, I'm not going to spare you with the details about him walking out on WWE and what happened. And my first thought was, no, give us the details. Most people don't know the details because they didn't listen to Colt Cabana's podcast on Thanksgiving in 2014 <laughs> or 15 or whatever it was. Like, I specifically remember sitting, I was Indianapolis, wife's family. I remember sitting in the back of the a car on a long drive, listening to that podcast and be, just being blown away. And that podcast, which has led to various lawsuits, mm-hmm. just that is the foundation of so much uh, the information that, and he didn't get into basically anything. He just said, I left. And then he said, I apologize because I let you down, which mm-hmm. was a very kind of WWE way of doing it. Um, but still, even him looking in the camera and saying, I apologize, I kept coming back to that CM Punk Vince McMahon promo where he says, you fired Chris Hero, you will apologize and you will like it. So to come back here and CM Punk saying, I apologize, was just, again, wild to see among the many things he has said over the last couple of weeks. He did ramble, but it did did ramble for a little bit. but, But he did what you said about SmackDown, which was, going from kind of real life stuff into storyline stuff mm-hmm. very seamlessly where it's kind of a mix of kayfabe and reality and, and it worked really well. And there's a comparison we'll make. You wrote it down. We'll talk about it in a second. But I, what I loved about this was Punk sold everything Rollins said to him. Mm-hmm. There, wasn't, there wasn't a smirk, a laugh, a dismissal of what he said. When Rollins says, I hate you, Punk's just staring at him. That is how you sell the animosity that as opposed to like some of the stuff he did with Eddie Kingston and they just kind of like laugh each other off sometimes. And I don't like that. No, I want to know that the words he says 
are impacting you. And both of these guys did that extremely well. The, the kind of closing line of it, the idea of, hey, I want you on a raw because I want to expose you as a fraud. Hey, stop, stop, I want, stop, start, yeah. start again with the closing line and then just keep going. You broke up okay. for a minute. Okay. The closing line where Rollins says, I want you on a raw to expose you as a fraud. I want to wrestle circles around you best in the world. Mm -hmm. It was really good. And maybe they'll get to this, but I just want, I didn't want it to be, I'll wrestle circles around you. I wanted it to be, I want to kick your ass. <laughs> you know, like I want this to be a fight, not, not a test of our wrestling skills type of kind of thing, which is what we get a lot of in AEW. And I don't really like that. I, they, they built up such good animosity and hatred between the two of them in this promo for it to come down to, I want to out wrestle you was mm -hmm. like, eh. well, no, just tell me you want to kick his ass, man. And look, they can get to that. You'll go through a whole program you know, presumably and we can get to that moment. But I was just like, these guys hate each other. Rollins said, I hate you. I just want to hear somebody. I want to kick your ass like that. That's what we want to see. I'm, I don't want to watch Rollins punk because it's going to be a great wrestling match. No, I want to watch it because these guys want to beat the shit out of each other. That's the fun part. So let me explain why he said it that way, because it was purposeful based on what his promo was saying. So the mm. beginning of the promo, he's heated and he's angry and he hates him and he goes through all that. But then this is and I mentioned this a moment ago. He says, and if you have changed, then maybe one day you will get an opportunity at the World Heavyweight Championship. This line followed that. So he's under the premise in his head when he's speaking about this, saying, okay, maybe Punk's changed and now we're fighting each other. And if that happens, I will show you there's level to this. I will wrestle circles around you and you'll understand what it means to be the best in the world. So he's saying, if, I do, if, it's not, if we're not in a situation where I want to kick your ass because I hate you, if we're actually on the same page and you are in my respect again, I'm still going to out wrestle you and prove you to you that I'm better. That's why he said it that way. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And again, there, there, there's a lot more to build off of, off of this for sure. For sure. The other intriguing item from this segment is how Rollins basically did the actual legit WWE work shoot version of Hangman Page's promo, which ignited, yep. you'll remember, yep. all of CM Punk's problems in AEW. Yep. Hangman's promo was always thin because the storyline was completely contrived. It was a totally kayfabe storyline that Punk was pulling apart the company and, you know, that Hangman was going to protect AEW from him. It never made any sense because what he did was he injected his personal issues into it, shot on him. Punk took exception to that, and we don't need to relitigate the entire situation. But Punk actually did try to tear down WWE. That yeah. allowed what Rollins said to completely hit home because it was real. And yeah. then on top of that, he added, this is your last chance. That alluded back, obviously, to what happened in AEW and the fact that he walked out on WWE previously. Because if something goes wrong this time in reality, he ain't going back anywhere. I mean, maybe TNA will hire him at some point. And apparently they had a big offer into him before WWE signed him. But, and wouldn't have that, wouldn't that have been interesting if he did go over there? Uh, but this is truly his last chance on the big stage. It is not lost on me, Chris, that WWE through this storyline, this segment, and probably what's going to come on the road to WrestleMania is actively showing AEW 
this is how you do business. And when I say that, not just in terms of pulling off the storyline, but getting people at odds to work together for the betterment of the fans, basically, and for business. And that was something I took away coming out of Raw on a Monday night. I'm like, hmm, isn't it funny how that can work? Yes, and I'm glad they didn't say that in the in the story because we've all talked about, hey, there's a there, you know you can do good business, you know it, it makes sense to do it. We played the Undertaker audio last week. He says, hey, get eyes on the product, do good business. That's what it's all about. We kept saying, hey, when CM Punk came back to AEW, him and the Young Bucks need to work together for business. When Rollins was saying, I want you to be on Raw. I was very worried he was going to say because it'll be good business. And I did not want to hear that. Mm -hmm. I don't want to hear business as a reason for a storyline. Right. I want to hear about how much you hate each other. So I'm glad that they didn't go down that road. And you're right. It, it, I had the exact same thought. It's the exact same thing Hangman said to him. But that was more of a kayfabe story. Hey, you're another WWE outsider coming in. I want to protect this company from you. You know, it was weird at the time. In hindsight, Kind of ended up being right, <laughs> but well, because actually, he made it because he made it that way because he shot that, on it, him with and they yeah. didn't and they didn't plan it and Punk reacted to it. Now again, we're not going to get into who was at fault and so many no, no, people no, no. were at fault for so many different reasons. Well, but but hey, that's why that Hangman didn't was, work. Is my point? Hangman was worried that Punk coming in was going to tear down the company, and it eventually actually kind of did. <laughs> For whoever's, whoever's fault you want to blame, that's fine. Yeah. So he comes back to WWE and they have the same story to tell because you're right. Punk did say all those things on that podcast. When, whenever we get to Roman Reigns, CM Punk, I want to get into this, the two of them, mm -hmm. because what CM Punk said about Roman Reigns on that Colt Cabana podcast set him back years, set Roman back years. No question. Because it's all the smart all the smart fans could think about was make Roman look strong. Mm -hmm. And that damaged him. That literally damaged his career. And so I, I Rollins says, Hey, you slandered me. You slandered all these people. He's right. I don't know how specific they can get into it, but I'm glad he talked about that. And I think there's so much more you can build off of that right there, yeah. which is you tried to tear down this company. It just, I, I think it was, it worked. It just makes so much sense because he did. He slandered them for real. He shit talked all of them. And then he literally went to a competitor and tried to hurt them like in business. Mm -hmm. So it works on so many different levels. It's just so appropriate and so much more appropriate for this angle to happen in WWE than it was to try and force it in AEW where it didn't fit. And then again, we obviously know what happened coming from there. couple fun notes. Uh, Punk's last match before walking out of WWE 2014 Royal Rumble, his first yep. match back or one of his first matches back might be the 2024 Royal Rumble exactly 10 years later. Also, Chris, Punk mentioned all that crazy stuff that happened to him in Cleveland where he walked out of WWE, all that. He left out that his first UFC fight also happened to be in Cleveland, but we know oh. why he didn't mention that because <laughs> he got his ass kicked. So there you go. Uh, there was another segment from Raw, actually a few. Uh, CM Punk approached Judgment Day backstage, giving them some shit, looking for Rhea Ripley. Uh, Damian Priest said that he hoped Punk was the one who finished his story. And then he raised the money in the bank briefcase on his face, pointing out he'd be right on his back if he did. Then Punk also had an interaction with Drew McIntyre. We'll talk about that in a moment. Then Kofi Kingston showed up and Punk said, Jamaican me crazy, with Kingston saying, I don't do that anymore, which was really funny. Uh, he also shook hands with Chad Gable and Ricochet, 
and he made a video game comment about Ricochet sucking at them, uh, which was apparently funny. People tell me that that's something from Up, Up, Down, Down. I don't, I don't really know, obviously. There wasn't much to these, but I just liked, and we mentioned this about SmackDown earlier, I liked that Punk wasn't out for a single segment and gone. It felt like he was part of the show interacting yes. with, he interacted with the top faction in the company right now, and he was looking for Rhea Ripley, not any of the guys, which kind of puts her importance over. He also got to you know, rub uh, shoulders with some other notable names right now. Getting to see him speak with guys like Kofi, who were legitimately his boys back in the day, that was fun. Seeing him in the same picture as Chad Gable randomly, that was fun. And then him and McIntyre next to each other, I was like, holy shit, that is a main event level feud as well. So I just loved the way they integrated him throughout the show. To what I said earlier about how much has changed since CM Punk was last last year, like Kofi Kingston, you know, to make the Jamaican comment, the New Day did not exist the last time CM Punk yeah. was in WWE. And they have been around what seems like forever. They, it was later, again, later 2014, I think it was, that they first got together. So things really have changed a lot. And you're right. Punk seeing everybody backstage on SmackDown and Raw makes it feel like a fluid show. Mm -hmm. It makes it feel real. Like he's backstage. Like he's got to be talking to people, right? What is that like? Oh, here's what that's like. It, it bothers me so much when they'll like bring back a John Cena or Undertaker or somebody and they're there for like one segment and that's it. And it's like, man, like I feel like everybody would be wanting to talk to the Undertaker. Shouldn't they show that? That's exactly what they did here. Obviously not something you can do every week and you don't want to do it with everybody. You don't want, you do not want CM Punk Roman Reigns to be face to face for the first time backstage. Right. Uh, it won't be for a while now that he's on Raw. So you save some of them, but you just do some of these and it makes everybody feel fluid and important. And I'm really glad that it's like a little thing you would think, but mm -hmm. like it added so much to Punk and the show, both it shows. Totally did. You're a thousand percent right. Before we move out of the main event, one other item I wanted to discuss as it comes to CM Punk. They made a significant deal about him signing with Raw, not just from a kayfabe storyline standpoint, but with Michael Cole claiming he's exclusive to Raw. They said it a few different times. Now, let's be clear that Raw will not begin its new television contract for another 10 plus months. But the fact is they don't have that new television contract right yep. now. SmackDown signed with USA Network and there will be a draft, you know, before those begin or, or shortly after they begin. But it's going to be real interesting to see the way this plays out because Punk is now exclusive to the brand where they're trying and expecting to up their TV rights revenue significantly, at least the same percentage increase they got with SmackDown, if not more. I mean, the fact that that Raw is moving off of USA Network really tells you all you need to know about it. But the timing of Punk rejoining WWE with this TV deal coming up, with the road to WrestleMania about to kick off in a month, with Survivor Series in Chicago, they really could not have timed this any better. I did not think the product needed any type of significant injection of life or anything. It was rolling along quite well. Really, the only thing that is needed is Roman Reigns coming back on SmackDown because that show is just kind of dead without him. It's, it's ridiculous that he's been gone as long as he has been and that he's not coming back until this Friday, you know, for the first time, really, um, outside of like a one week or it was a one week and then a taped week build to Crown Jewel. He's been there like two out of the last 
10, 12 weeks, it feels like. I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous at this point. So SmackDown is the show that needed life injected into it. And yet, Punk has just come in. He's raised the rent. And I would not be shocked if he plays a role in not so much WWE getting a TV deal for Raw, because obviously they were going to, but how much WWE gets for its new TV deal for Raw. Mentioned earlier, all feels like almost all of the stars are on Raw. Don't think that's a coincidence. Don't yeah. think it's a coincidence that Raw has felt a, a lot better show over the last couple of months because the SmackDown deal is done. The Raw deal needs to get done. Mm-hmm. So they're going to do whatever they can to improve those rank that ratings. That means having Cody on there, Jay, Drew McIntyre, Becky Lynch, now CM Punk, like Sami Zayn, like all, other than basically LA Knight and Roman Reigns and now Randy Orton, mm-hmm. all the other stars are on Raw. And there's reason for that. They, they they want up that TV deal and Punk. I'm I imagine Punk will play a role in, in making that better. So we'll see how that uh, how that deal ends up. The rosters really are not close. The raw no. roster is just so much better. I mean, it's it, it's it's immensely better. And I don't suspect. I mean, we used to get a draft like in October or something around Survivor Series. I don't think we're going to get that until the raw deal is done. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they do. I think didn't last year they do it right around the NFL draft. Yeah, this last year they did it at the end of April, early May. I'm going to assume it was after backlash or right around backlash. Oh, I think they did it right before backlash and then brands officially changed after backlash is what it was this past year. But to your point, they normally do it around the start of the new fall season, which is in October uh, when it comes to the TV rights deals. and And that's what they did pretty much for the two or three years prior. So I don't know when they're going to do a draft again. I'm going to assume, though, that they they might keep doing it end of April, around May, to kind of coincide with the NFL draft a little bit. And if that happens, I you know, Punk will just stay on Raw. But there is no question that after WrestleMania, SmackDown needs some help from a talent perspective because from at least from the men's singles division point of view, that's like a dead show right now. I mean, it's just the, the talent disparity is ridiculous. And we'll probably need to spend more time on that uh, during a different episode because we have a ton left to get to on this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We're going to break down everything else that happened across SmackDown and Raw this week. You know it. You love it. It's our next segment. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade, it just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some Jordan. It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in them articles that I read. Before we get into the grading of everything, I did want to briefly discuss Tribute for the Troops, uh, the special edition of SmackDown on Friday. It was very unlike the past where they would do the pre-taped special shows, the one hours that would either air on USA Network back in the day or more recently Fox. They worked this completely into the live broadcast of SmackDown and it was both better and worse. First, we talk all the time about WWE occasionally needing to do themed TV episodes. And this was kind of a way to start that. But then it opened with some singers, the Warren Treaty, which was probably the best musical act that WWE has put on TV in a long time. I had never heard of them before, but they had pipes, man. They were great. 
Uh, Cody Rhodes also threw to a video package and introduced a drill team. And there were a ton of other packages, both with and without WWE superstars. The best, I guess, was the aesthetic of having the military folks on the hard cam side. The other side of it is that it took up a lot of the show and it really limited what could be accomplished in the two hours of SmackDown. So while it was an improvement on the normal tribute to the troop shows, it hurt the quality of the SmackDown show. I'm mixed on what they should do in the future, but I did want to just give some perspective on it, at least from my view as I watched it live on Friday night. Yeah, I agree. Good, good and bad. It's just it's kind of what we said, which was there's not much going on on SmackDown anyway. You've got Randy Orton kind of with LA Knight. You've got uh, CM Punk made an appearance. You've got the uh, you've got the um, damage, damage control, control and like that's it. That's like that's all that's that's the only interesting stuff going on on SmackDown anyway. So I didn't feel like it took away from like, oh, man, I can't believe we didn't get to see blank mm -hmm. because we had tribute to the troop stuff. So I, I thought it was I thought it was fine. And I did like the visual of the service members being in there and everything. And um, yeah, I got it, it made the show feel a little different compared to the last, you know, the last number of SmackDowns have been really, really boring. Mm -hmm. It felt a little bit fresh. So I think, like you said, doing a couple of special TV shows, even if it's not like a big deal, it helps. It, it's not quite in, it's not quite in season tournament for the NBA, but it's just something <laughs> to kind of get you out of the doldrums. Yeah, that's fair. So you mentioned Randy Orton. Let's start with Randy Orton. He was backstage walking into Aldis's office, handing him a paper and complaining about teaming with L.A. Knight when they've never even met before. Aldis explained that they both wanted to fight the bloodline, and that's all he really needs to know in order to team up with him. Then uh, Aldis realized the check was actually for $100,000 instead of $50,000 with Orton winking. That's an advanced payment for the next time he RKO's the GM. Knight approached Orton backstage only for Punk to slide into the picture and wish them both luck. We moved to Orton and Knight against Jimmy Uso and Solo Sokoa. Orton and Knight were at odds a bit early. Sokoa crushed Knight with a bear hug slam. Solo did most of the work. Randy got the hot tag and did the announce table spot with Jimmy plus the draping DDT. Knight saved Orton from a Samoan spike with a DDT. Then Knight was setting up Jimmy for BFT, only for Orton to spin Jimmy around and hit the RKO for the win. Fun finish, unique way to have a babyface steal a match ender. Jimmy again sold the RKO like death. He just stayed in the ring, not moving as the show ended. This didn't have any in-show storyline to analyze. Like I kind of wished Orton and Knight had gotten into it a little bit. The right team won, the crowd popped huge. It was really smart to keep Orton and Knight at odds, at least a little bit, despite both of them being faces. And in terms of the earlier segment, I know you always pop when people get fined money for things that happen, but I popped for the way Orton is like, here's a double payment because I'm going to do it to you again at some point. I might as well get it out of the way. Easy good. Yep, definitely good for all the reasons you said. It just, it continues to amaze me that we're just like, yeah, LA Knight's just rubbing shoulders with Randy Orton in the main event of SmackDown. He's rubbing shoulders with John Cena. He he's just he's completely a main eventer now. Mm -hmm. And we're it's just like part of the show now. And I think that just continues to be awesome. And I appreciate it, especially with Randy coming back, CM Punk coming back. Like a lot of that superstar space is being taken up. LA Knight's still getting huge pops, did last week, did this week. And that's really cool. And I love the finish. The finish of the match was incredibly smooth. Mm -hmm. And I love the facial reactions of Randy Orton and LA Knight on that. It could be a fun tag team together, even though there's not much for them to do, I guess, as a tag team. But I, I, I thought it worked. I liked it. 
the other funny thing is like, remember he lost to Roman Reigns. You're like, all right, clearly he's going to go after the United States Championship. Makes a lot of sense. What are they going to do between now and then to keep him interesting? Oh, how about John Cena and Randy Orton working with LA Knight? Yeah. I mean, that's as good as you can possibly do. And who knows what's still to come, you know, regarding all of that. Uh, TC Casa at TC Casa wrote in, when the hell did Solo start wearing shoes and kick pads? I'm shocked that Chris hasn't mentioned his appearance. I noticed this also during this match. I wonder if he hurt his foot or shin or something. It looked like, you know, you ever see one of those shows where like they have a bomb diffuser come in and he puts on all that heavy gear in case the thing blows up as if that's going to protect him or something like that really heavy, thick padding. That's what it looked like Solo Sokoa was wearing on his legs and feet during this match. It was really strange. I'm not sure if you noticed it, but TC Casa did. And I figured I would respond to it. I did not. I, I'm pulling up the video right here just to see. I I did look at Solo and he did look different to me. Um, I couldn't figure out what it was. Maybe, maybe that's. Yeah, he's got a lot more around the lower legs than he used to use. He was also paler than he typically is. So, yeah, I didn't notice that. I'm curious what it is. Oh, yeah, it's it's real. No, it looks like he's got like two boots on, essentially. So, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> wild. It's crazy. It's, it's a lot of stuff. So yeah, appreciate the listener yeah. pointing that out. My bad for missing it. We'll keep an eye on it. Maybe it's an injury. Maybe it's a change. Uh, we'll see. We'll find out. Uh, Jay Uso fought Drew McIntyre on Raw. This opened the show with Jay back in the Yeet shirt, saying he got Yeet back. So I guess WWE worked out the Yeet trademark issue. Jay endorsed Punk signing with Raw. He wished Sami Zayn well with his kayfabe knee injury and talked a little trash to Drew with McIntyre saying. Punk isn't wanted on Raw because he'll destroy it from the inside out. McIntyre then half apologized to Zayn for last week's injury to show Jay how you actually apologize to someone. Drew then pulled the crowd about apologies and he called out one fan in particular, which popped the hell out of me, uh, into the match. McIntyre missed a ringside claymore and landed straight on the announce table, but Drew followed with a sick catapult using the bottom of the ring plus a Glasgow kiss. Jay countered Claymore with two super kicks, but Drew blocked Uso's splash with double knees and hit a future shock DDT for a false finish with a really good commentary call by Wade Barrett that Drew won that way over Jay a couple weeks ago. McIntyre ripped off a turnbuckle pad. Jay countered Claymore for a spear, and that was a false finish. The referee then went to replace the cover of the pad, so McIntyre fully raked the eye, full thumb in the eye, and hit Claymore for the win. We later learned that Drew will get a World Heavyweight Championship rematch against Seth Rollins on the day one, aka January 1st edition of Raw. This was pretty much a perfect couple of segments to start any TV show. Jay remains super over. Drew continued his heel character arc both through his words and his actions. It's the perfect gimmick for him, the best presentation that he's had in years. We talk about that pretty much every week. And McIntyre got the win in appropriate fashion. That's what made the prior War Games Advantage match so frustrating because he already had one win where this one probably should have been the first. I'm thinking about it now. I think Drew might have had two wins over Jay already. So this was then the third. If this had been the first match between them, it would have been even better and come off even better than it already did on Raw. This was a definite good. They both were great. And like I said, it was pretty much the perfect start to the show. It was a little bit weird to start the show because he oh, comes out with the yeet. He comes out with the yeet shirt. Jay does. Mm-hmm. I, I was kind of surprised it's so blue, considering he's on Raw now. 
and I, I do wonder, he said it a lot, mm-hmm. and we've talked about it a lot over the last two weeks or so when they lost the shirt. I hope they don't go overboard and I get annoyed with all the yeets. It, it's fun when it's, it's organic and less so when it feels pushed. But Jay also says, like, we lost somebody last week. We we lost Sami Zayn. <laughs> right. And the crowd thought he was about to say somebody died. Yeah, that that's what it like, sounded like. I know. <laughs> I was like, I was like, wait, did did some famous wrestler die last week and I missed it? And he goes, We lost Sami Zayn. And the crowd's like, Oh, 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 okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like they went dead silent expecting to hear something like that. And yeah. It was like, oh, okay. So kind of missed the didn't quite hit that one, but I just I thought it was funny. Um, but everything else with, with Drew was great. This is what two weeks in a row now drew has opened the show with a big win mm-hmm. like it's it's interesting it's a different it's a different kind of approach last couple of weeks to the show um but loved it it all made sense drew continues to get wins even if he cheated this one whatever he's getting the title shot that's what's important that's what's deserved didn't love that didn't love that that's the way we found out you know <laughs> via adam pierce saying it in a backstage segment to somebody else would have loved kind of a more you know kind of pronounced announcement especially if we think it's possible drew could win it um so you're talking about the title match yeah yeah yeah. i I was kind of i was like wait did they announce that earlier and i missed it or something it was just so like nonchalantly thrown out there that yeah drew's got a title shot for the world (laughs) championship on january 1st Mm -hmm. oh okay so uh that kind of took me by surprise two things you mentioned jay leaning so heavily into yeet I mean, he called himself the Yeet Master, delivering Yeet downs instead of beatdowns. Look, Yeet on its own, if you want to like punctuate stuff with it and use it like, yeah, totally fine. Yep. Totally fun. Let's tone it down a bit. We don't need to be this heavy handed with Yeet. It is way, way too much, or it was way, way too much on Raw Monday night. Now, regarding the title match coming on Raw, I love how they're giving it a thematic day one moniker for that show. Doing the title match there is really smart, but Chris, let's be honest, okay? That show is doomed. It's going up against both college football playoff semifinals, the end of the Rose Bowl and the entirety of the Sugar Bowl. I have to believe they're going to do a DQ or a schmoz finish and do a third match at the Royal Rumble. Otherwise, who does Seth defend against on that show? And what the hell do you do for the remainder of January going into the Royal Rumble? This is one of those circumstances where I would 100% be fine with a screwy finish. Um, You could even tease Money in the Bank and have Damian Priest cost McIntyre the match, and then they get a one-on-one match at Royal Rumble, no DQ or something Mm -hmm. like that. Like, that is the way that needs to get booked. Yeah, I mean, Big E won his WWE Championship, like, on Christmas or something, didn't he? Or was it, it was, was an announced cash in on a Monday night during the football season. I don't remember. I don't think it, it was, was Christmas like, time. It was like on Christmas or on New Year's or something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, it w- I don't think it'd be unprecedented, but I, you're probably right that they probably know the ratings for that are going to be low again. It would make sense to do a screwy finish, get to the rumble. Well, no, I don't know. I guess we'll, we'll fantasy book this later, but because if we think we're doing CM Punk, Seth Rollins one night of WrestleMania, presumably that's for a title. Mm-hmm. So then Drew wouldn't be winning it. So I don't know. That's what I'm saying. So like, it makes sense just to do a, a DQ here and then rematch it at Royal Rumble. Just say, yeah, you know, we're doing it for the rating. We're doing it for, for this situation. Uh, two yeah. college football playoff semifinals. 
you know, I, I understand it is what I'm trying to say in this circumstance. Like they want a big match going up against that so they don't get absolutely creamed, but they're going to get creamed. I mean, I don't see any way around it. Yes. Yeah. One other thing real quick, uh, a regular issue that Jay faces, I don't know if you've noticed it, he gets way too hyped up during his entrance. And when he has to cut a promo immediately after it, he's completely breathless. Like he's unable to catch his breath, unable to really lean in and deliver his lines, which he is normally very good at doing. So this guy just needs to learn, like if you're opening the show or if you're cutting a promo immediately after an entrance, tone that shit down 33%. Fans aren't going to notice the difference and you'll actually be able to speak because his promo, it was very difficult to follow the way he kept starting and stopping. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's coming up, getting on the top of the rope, hands up and down, crowds going crazy. It's an exciting entrance, but you're right. It it does seem to be kind of uh, getting him a little bit gassed. Yeah. Just in situations like that. All right, let's move on. Uh, Cody Rhodes against Shinsuke Nakamura in a promo package. Shinsuke said Cody is like a dog chasing a car, trying to finish the story. That's a great line. And his weakness is trying to earn the approval of others. Then it went all anime style with Nakamura calling himself the real nightmare. This was freaking great. And it remains the best Nakamura character in his entire WWE run. Rhodes later welcomed Punk to Raw during an interview and said that he wished he could put over Nakamura's career of success, but instead he had to focus on taking him down. This was the main event of the show. Shinsuke countered both a Cody Cutter and Crossroads into arm bars. Rhodes eventually hit Disaster Kick and Cody Cutter in succession, but Nakamura countered Crossroads with a massive amount of mist straight in front of the referee for a blatant disqualification. He sold the burning uh, in his own throat, Shinsuke did. He beat the shit out of Cody, took out his knee, and then hit Kinshasa to the back of his head. He was going to use a steel chair on him when the Creed brothers randomly made the save. Shinsuke walked off like a boss while Cody groaned in the ring, selling the shit out of the mist and the attack. Then Nakamura ran back with a jumping Kinshasa while on the ramp to end the entire thing. I absolutely loved this. I was initially bothered about the way the match was transpiring because it felt like they were just doing signatures and finishers the whole time. There wasn't really any match story, but it made complete sense based on the finish. The only change I'd have made, I never would have had the Creed brothers come out there. They have yep. no connection to Cody, first of all. And honestly, even though Cody's the babyface, I just wanted to see Shinsuke completely destroy him. Kinshasa with a chair wrapped around his neck, just lay this guy out. They got like 80% of the way there and the crowd was white hot for it. So it's a definite good, but those are a couple tweaks I would have made. And that was the second save that the Creed's made on the show. Mm-hmm. We'll get into the first one. So you kind of lose the luster when you're just the one coming out to save all the baby faces. It was a great match. You know, understand the finish and all that. It works. Cody sold it great, but you're right. I didn't love to save it. It kind of made for a dud ending. It wasn't like, yeah, we're cheering on the Creed's. Like, because no, they had the numbers advantage. You'd rather close the show with booing or, or more that kind of stuff. You didn't really quite get it. It felt like they felt like they needed a save as a reason for Nakamura to get pushed away. Otherwise he would have just kept going. But like, I don't know, just go to black like that. Go to black mid beatdown. Like we yeah. ran out of time, really kind of punch, punch that home. Similar thing happened elsewhere on this show, which we'll get to, but it's like, yeah, if you're going to do the beatdown, do the beatdown, man. 
yeah, like like it could have been it could have been more. Like but Shinsuke, it, it was, it still give this a good overall. Shinsuke still stood tall at the end and got the last shot, but it's like why not just do it right in the middle of the ring in front of everybody? Like Jay and Sammy are the people most likely to save Cody. Sammy's out. And Jay was hurt earlier in his match against Drew. So it made sense why no one was there to save Cody. So again, he already did the, the Kinshasa to the back of the head, put the chair around his neck, do a Kinshasa to the front with the chair, stand over him, get booed, show ends. It's pretty mm-hmm. much the same thing, except you don't have the creeds and the creeds didn't add anything to it. In fact, they only subtracted. So I just thought it was a really weird decision, but hey, you know, it was still good and they still um, succeeded. I quickly want to note, just because I had the note on my rundown here, forgot to mention it, Drew McIntyre, Jey Uso earlier, I did give that 3.75 stars. I just wanted to say as much. I don't grade every match on TV, but occasionally when one stands out, I do want to mention it. Let's move back to SmackDown. Asuka was preparing for Charlotte Flair backstage, getting some training in and celebrating with the other women. As Bailey stood there apologizing, trying to help last week, uh, volunteering to stay backstage because she screwed up. She thought everyone should stay back with her, but Dakota Kai informed her it was a big match. They all needed to be ringside with Asuka, but she could stay back. And obviously, Bailey was dejected by this. So we had Flair against Asuka. Mia Yim and Zelina Vega attacked Io Sky and Kyrie Sane before the bell, with Bianca Belair and Shotzi joining to finally leave it one on one. It was relatively formulaic. Charlotte missed her moonsault probably worse than ever before. She just needs to stop performing that move and do something new, I promise no one will miss it. There's not a single person who will be upset that she does not do the top rope moonsault outside. Just please stop. Charlotte also needs to just freshen up her moveset in its entirety, so it's even more reason not to do it. After commercial, Flair caught Asuka in the figure eight with Bailey running in and pulling her arm to break the bridge. This time, the interference actually worked. Asuka rolled up Charlotte and got the win. Now, I'm certainly glad that Asuka won this, but Given their immense talent level and the rarity of them wrestling, I hoped for more. I'm still going to go with a good. It is possible the finish changed a little bit because the only real negative coming out of this was Charlotte legitimately hurt her knee. And I don't know if it was on the moonsault, which by the way, would be another reason to stop doing it. Uh, I don't know if it was on the moonsault or something else in the match, but she did not look good. She limped off. Uh, reports are that she was has been pulled from the road and she's undergoing a battery of tests to determine the extent, and many believe it's not looking good, and she could be out of action for a while. So obviously that's immensely uh, shitty for Charlotte and unfortunate, and it sucks that this could be a serious injury, especially coming around Royal Rumble and WrestleMania season, both for her and for the company. But at the same time, I'm just pointing out, like what we got here, the, the wrestling aspect of it, did not work for me, but the storytelling aspect was exactly what it needed to be coming out of last week. Yeah, I'm on the edge of good and bad just because of my expectations. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I I asked Charlotte earlier this year, like what's her favorite match? And it was her WrestleMania match with Asuka. You know, like these two, we've seen them put on absolute bangers and this wasn't that. And it didn't need to be because it's a SmackDown match, but I'll give it a light good because of the storytelling, like you said, but um, did not live up to what we were hoping for. And most importantly, hope Charlotte uh, is okay. I'll tell you what put me over the edge for good. The fact that Mia Yim and Zelina Vega ran out because they got attacked before war games and eliminated from potentially being in that match. So they followed up and they didn't say, hey, they got attacked and they just shrugged and went on with their lives. They're pissed and still hate them and want revenge. So that's huge. 
And credit to commentary for telling us who it was because we couldn't see because when the camera cut, we saw their backs. I was like, wait, who's this like neon bodysuit <laughs> lady? Yeah. I didn't know who it was. I'm like, it's Selena Vega. I was like, oh, OK, that makes sense. So good, good, good job by commentary to kind of uh, uh, kind of inform us about that because I couldn't tell at the moment who that was. Sure. Uh, Becky Lynch opened hour three of Raw showing footage of Nia Jax breaking her nose five years ago. And by the way, it is wild that that happened five years ago at this point. Uh, she said that she, Becky, went on to main event WrestleMania and have a child while Nia had double ACL surgery and got fired. <laughs> Facts, both true and both pretty nice. Uh, Becky's line was top tier, though. It really made me laugh out loud when she said it. Naya is a woman so unlikable that even her own knees wouldn't stand up for her. I mean, that's like a roast line, you know, that someone would write. That was incredible. That's her Twitter personality shining through onto TV. Jax then waddled down, and I say waddled because that's literally how she walked to the ring. It was really strange and not like she normally walks. She said she's not fired now. She's better than ever. And Becky was lucky it was only half a punch and not full force. Lynch in a veiled shot that the crowd completely missed countered that Jax is the most dangerous woman in the ring given how many careers she's nearly ended. Nia said the danger she brought is why Becky has a career in the first place. So Lynch countered that it wasn't about the broken nose. It's about what she did after her nose was broken. Lynch then squared up. She offered a free shot at her chin, but Nia declined because Becky needs it more than she does. Now, it was not the best segment because Nia is truly awful on the mic. She just doesn't have presence. And you need presence when you're speaking in a wrestling ring. But Becky did the best she could to carry it and carry it she did. It's the right storyline. It's the right time to do it in this long lull between premium live events before WrestleMania season and her lines on Nia. Not only were they accurate, they absolutely drilled her. So I'm going to go good here. I'm giving this good, but I actually think Nia was better here. I, Be really? Becky had the better Becky had the better individual lines. But like I came out of that segment feeling like, ooh, Nia kind of got the upper hand and there's a reason for Becky to fear, at least like in kayfabe. Oh, in kayfabe, and, Nia got the upper hand. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and I thought it worked. Like I, I thought Nia handled that all really well. I thought the beginning of this, I would have liked some more passion from Becky, just like the CM Punk thing where it's like, I'm not going get, to get into the details. No, like give me the details. Give me your feelings. Instead, we got to video package of the punch we saw it like 15 times <laughs> and then becky just kind of like brushed it aside afterward then naya comes out naya starts off talking in sarcasm which annoys me with with wwe promos but then they got into it and it was really good and naya like there's nothing naya can say to come back from i main evented wrestlemania had a kid and you got fired like, there's, <laughs> there's, no, there's nothing you can say to come back from that right so i thought I thought her character did a good job of kind of pivoting toward like, you're lucky I didn't punch you the, the full time. I'm better than I ever was before. And Nia basically saying to Becky, you're trying to prove that getting to the main event of WrestleMania wasn't an accident. Uh, I'm the one who got you there. You're trying to prove that you can get back there. That's a great story. I think they've got a great story between these two. I thought Nia comes out of the segment looking really good. Uh, so I, I love this. I, it started slow. But by the end, I thought both of them totally delivered. I did forget to mention when Becky was walking backstage on her way to the ring, Nikki Cross was hiding in the background again. I just wonder when they're actually going to pull the trigger and do something with this gimmick and tell us exactly what's happening with her. But that did happen. Thought it was worth mentioning. Uh, Finn Balor snapped at J.D. McDonough for the wheels falling off of Judgment Day last week after he and Rhea Ripley were gone. 
Ripley was pissed about R-Truth continuing to break into the clubhouse. McDonough and Dominic Mysterio losing to the Creed Brothers and Dom losing the North American Championship, which happened on NXT deadline. He lost to Dragon Lee. If you happen to miss that show, I suggest you watch it. Damian Priest snapped back that not showing up to Raw is a problem, referring to Ripley and Balor, but he said he and Finn will take care of the Creeds. Ripley made a remark about leadership. Priest took that personally, but she said she was talking about all of them and how they need to remind everyone that they run Raw. Ripley said she would make an example out of Dupree, and that's kind of how that segment ended. Then we had Alpha Academy and Diamond Mine supporting Maxine backstage when R-Truth came in with Christmas lights, wanting to decorate the clubhouse. Chad Gable informed him he's not actually in Judgment Day, but he didn't believe them. Good job factoring in last week's absence to a trio of failures over the final seven days, or the seven days, I should say, leading into Raw, while continuing some of the stable infighting that we've seen with Judgment Day. It also set the stage for two separate matches on this one show in just a couple of minutes. So like I said, it was good. Yeah, great setup. I continue to feel that the most enjoyable promo in WWE right now is Damian Priest being annoyed with somebody. Mm -hmm. He just sounds so real. Like he, he just, I don't know what it is. He, he now, when he's pissed at JD McDonough, when he's pissed at our truth, like he feels, it comes across like he's legitimately annoyed and he, it's, it's great. This was really good. I'll tell you something else that popped me also. So, uh, when he referred to Dominic in the backstage segment, he called him Susio, which is dirty in Spanish, but so he's calling him dirty. He's like, Hey Dom, Hey Mysterio. Like that's how you would normally refer to someone. He would be like, Hey, dirty. <laughs> I just thought that was, and, and hearing Susio is way better than just calling someone dirty. It just sounds better. So it just worked for me on so many different levels, but I agree. I love, I, I love I, where, I love where he has that like intonation in his voice. And also when yeah. he switches between Spanish and English, it's great. Yeah. Also, I like the, the, the shirt that Dom was wearing, it was like, you know, Damien and Rhea mm -hmm. and Finn and Dom, except for it, sh it should just say Dom. It says dirty Dom. I know. I don't clothes. like that either. I know. It ex it extends too far out. It I, makes the it makes it uneven. It should just say Dom and it'd be an awesome. I thing. had the exact same thought. I was like, man, that's a shirt I'd like to buy if it didn't say dirty. Yeah. I, I, I thought that exact same thing. That's funny. Uh, Rhea Ripley fought Maxine Dupree on the show. This was announced over the weekend, but no real reason was given for it. Ivy Nile joined Maxine ringside. Dupree twice botched a powerbomb counter. Ripley then booted her head off and hit Riptide, but didn't cover. She trash-talked her and won via submission with a prism trap that she kept locked in until Ivy confronted her from the outside. Would make sense to get that match next week. Rip Ripley against Nile would love to see it. The work here was awful. And this gets a default bad because of that. But it is exactly how you should book a squash. And it was exactly the right person to book it against. It's just Maxine was nowhere near ready for this. At least we got to see Rhea wrestle on TV. I'm legitimately excited if they do Rhea and Ivy. That's a match I want to see. I hope it gets five, six, seven minutes. But yeah, this was just bad. Like there's really no other way to shake it. Yeah, I, I did like the idea I, it felt fresh. You know, we don't see Rhea wrestle all that much and it's often the same couple of people. So I was like, oh, this feel, I was interested when it started. I was like, fresh matchup, not expecting Maxine to win. Like, I'm looking forward to this. And not only could Maxine not, twice not get up for the powerbomb, she couldn't get up for the riptide either. Mm -hmm. uh, Got to get back in the gym with Alpha Academy and work on that core strength, I think. Uh, happened a number of times. Match was not great, unfortunate. But I like the idea behind it. Still, 
It's a bad. One thing with Maxine that's actually kind of interesting is her legs are really long. They look good, but she's got me saying, hey now. I do not mean it in that way at all. I just wanted to play the sound job. Uh, her legs are really long, which kind of made it look like it was tough for Rhea to grab her for some of those moves. And I wonder if that factored into it or if it was just her botching and, and really that was nothing that was a part of it. Um, but I did like notice that it was, it, it was a different form of competitor than what Rhea is yeah. used to wrestling against. Even like Azlina Vega, you know, she's small and diminutive, but you could just throw her around. And Maxine, like she had that length to her where it maybe it makes it a little bit more difficult for Rhea, but it just, this was bad. It was, it was not a good match, not a good segment. It was very disappointing in that regard, but also not surprising because Maxine is immensely green. So you put her in the ring with someone like Ripley, even for two minutes, they just couldn't execute. And it was really disappointing. Uh, Judgment Day hit the ring sans Ripley saying the whole company was put on notice, even those they have already taken out. Dom got booed and R-Truth came out annoyed that they locked up the clubhouse. McDonough went off on Truth again. So Priest again calmed him down. He welcomed Truth into the ring. He suggested they kick out JD, Truth did, because no one likes him. Then he made some jokes. That was all very funny. Priest and Balor pointed out that everyone loves Truth except him. So Priest hit a lariat. They gang attacked him followed by the Creeds making the save. This time it made sense because the Creeds are actually number one contenders for the tag team titles and baby faces. Julius countered into a double suplex outside and took out Priest inside. Dom then repeated off mic that he told them the Creeds were legit. I'm super, super mixed about this one because the comedy didn't totally land for me and it was an immensely formulaic segment. The heels did not need more heat. So the truth bit was ultimately worthless as far as I was concerned. And while the creeds did get some shine, it was very basic. I'd much have preferred Judgment Day dismissing the creeds as challengers in a promo with the creeds confronting, getting to speak, and then winning a brawl. But instead, they made a save over a guy that didn't even really need to be involved in this. The Judgment Day promo accomplished absolutely nothing, and the creeds didn't get to say a word. So this is a light bad for me. Your point about the Creed's not saying a word is key because they've been the number one contenders for a minute here and we still haven't heard a thing from them outside of the backstage little things they do. Mm -hmm. So you're right. We need to get that confrontation. I don't really know when you, when you do that. Do you remember what I said last week about Judgment Day and our truth and what needed to happen? I do not. I said they needed to turn on him and beat his ass. They ah. need, they, it, it had gotten too comedy-y where Judgment Day had heat, but it wasn't like fearful heat and you, you didn't really fear them. And so as soon as they turn on truth here, I go, they're doing it. It's exactly what I said. They, they needed a beat down of our truth to get the real true heel heat back. But like 20 seconds into it, the creeds come out. Mm -hmm. And by the end of it, our truth is standing up. Like, like they just like the Nakamura thing, do a full beatdown. Just end it there. Like give like give some real extra heat. That, oh, man, we got to fear these guys. Did you see what they did to our truth? They, they had to take him out on a stretcher, all these kinds of things. Like if you're right, it felt so formulaic. Oh, beat a guy up for 10 seconds. Get the save. Everybody standing at the end of it didn't accomplish anything. I'm giving this a bad as well when it was, it would have been so easy to make it a good, like you said, to just do a straight up promo back and forth between the two or really lean into the beatdown. 
instead they did like a middle ground that I don't think satisfied anybody. Well, the, the other option is the reason this has all been so fun is because it's happened in the Judgment Day clubhouse. So have Truth invade, have them kick him out and beat the ever-loving shit out of him backstage, throw him into road cases, drop the pipes on him, put him through a table, the whole deal. And then the Creeds run in and chase them away. And as they chase Judgment Day away, they say something. We're going to kick your asses next week. We want our title match. You know, whatever the case might be. That's another way that you can accomplish the same thing. This did not need to be in front of the crowd. It felt like it was forced to be in front of the crowd when it should never have been. And that also led to it just falling apart as far as I was concerned and just not being necessary or executed well. So I said light bad. I'm changing it. It's a bad. Just a flat bad. Simple as that. Yeah. Uh, United States Championship, number one contendership tournament. We had two matches for this on SmackDown this past Friday. We'll start with Dragon Lee against Santos Escobar. Dominic Mysterio came out before the match, and Escobar had such a memeable, shit-eating grin on his face when Dom came out. I actually laughed out loud when I saw it. I tweeted it, and we've already used it like three times on Twitter. So you're going to see that plenty. I just love that um, GIF, I guess, that I created. Uh, Dragon had consecutive great counters, the second into a Liger Bomb. The crowd kind of sucked, chanting for unrelated things, and Escobar took Dragon off the top rope, hitting Phantom Driver for the sudden win. This was shockingly bad for a few reasons. Primarily, though, the sudden finish that just came across with a thud. But it was basically a lesser version of the already mediocre match that they just had at Survivor Series, one that did not need to be repeated in this tournament at all. And they also had Dragon lose a second straight match squeaky clean to Escobar, despite the fact that he had a title match against Dom the next night at NXT deadline. And guess what? He won the title in that match. So he just lost twice to Escobar clean and then won the championship. If you were going to involve Dominic and bring him to ringside and you knew the match was coming up the next night, why would you not at least have Dom directly interfere and give Dragon an excused loss add heat to their match at deadline, and it is even sweeter when Dragon actually beats him. This booking made less than zero sense to me. I completely agree. Did you grade it? I said bad off the top, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm i with a bad as well. I was like, wait, didn't we just get this? And it was just odd, and the finish was, like you said, sudden. I didn't care much for it. Bad as well. Bobby Lashley fought Karrion Cross. This was the other match. Lashley and Montez Ford, who did not come out, were promoted as veterans because it was tribute for the troops. Brad Nessler, the voice of college football on CBS, was randomly out promoting the Army-Navy game, and he stayed for match commentary. And Chris, you know that popped the hell out of me. This is a coworker of mine. Now, I don't work with him on a daily basis, and I've only seen him a few times, but nevertheless, a coworker of mine on SmackDown. It's clear, by the way, he watches the product, at least as a yeah. casual fan, because yeah. he made comments that like, OK, it's possible they gave him some notes, but the way he spoke about them showed in like uh, innate knowledge of wrestling and storylines and things that were happening. He, he, he said he said, Karrion Cross, have, we haven't seen him since like August. Didn't he lose to AJ Styles or something like that? I was like, oh, yeah, like it's possible I that was a note, that. but I'm, I'm pretty sure he just knew that. And there were a couple other things that he just seemed to know. Uh, first of all, this gets, I didn't even mention the match. Uh, Lashley hit the almighty Spinebuster and the spear and got the win. This gets a default good because of Nestler. But the match was like, whatever. They brought Cross back after all this time, shoved him into a match with no reason for his return, no promo package to reintroduce him, nothing. 
And while Lashley looked nice taking down a big guy, it just wasn't anything special bell to bell. But like I said, it's an automatic good just because of Nestler. Yeah, and it's always interesting. Like when they when when you get a real professional commentator show up on commentary, and you're like, oh, that that's what that sounds like. When you, when you hear Brad Nestor's voice, you're like, oh, that yeah, that is the job. Like you, you can tell, you can instantly tell like the greats and the not so greats just when you hear the boom of that voice. And WWE has some of those. It has some not so much of those. And so I couldn't believe it. I was popping huge for it I, I thought it was awesome um as for the match it was whatever Weir- weirdest thing continues to be like bobby lashley presented as a face basically mm-hmm. you know he hey he, he's a veteran he's fighting carrying cross crowds cheering for him he wins i continue to have no idea what the bobby lashley street profit stuff is supposed to be this continues adding to that confusion but because we got brad nessler i'm gonna give it a good I will also note, so uh, Brad Nessler is legitimate friends with Jim Ross. That needs to be said. Uh, He was at WrestleMania 24 in Orlando. That's one of the places uh, I remember seeing him like around wrestling. Uh, And the other item with Nessler is, I I think he's a longtime wrestling fan. I don't think he's watching WWE on a weekly basis, but no, just clearly he knows what's going on. And like, I think it popped him to be there. I, I would love to talk to him about it and find out like what he thought and the whole deal. But it was just a blast. Uh, overall, Chris, just in terms of this United States Championship number one contendership tournament, it's a mouthful. Real disappointing start. They have five matches left and they can completely turn it around over the next few weeks. But this is one area where AEW just has a clear cut edge on WWE. Even when WWE actually does tournaments, rarely do they include consistently good to great matches across the board. I thought that would change under Triple H, but at least as far as these two are concerned, it has not. I I just can't think of any tournaments he's done recently that have been anything better than mediocre, and this one is not off to a great start. Yeah, you compare this to Continental Classic going on, it's it's obviously not even in the same stratosphere. So you're right. It's um it's a bit weird, but we'll see how it goes. All right. DIY and a mystery partner were set to fight Imperium. Johnny Gargano backstage was excited to be in Cleveland, his hometown, as Tommaso Ciampa had some doubts about their partner with Imperium confronting them. Cole accidentally called them DYI and Barrett got on him for that twice. The Miz was the surprise partner because he's from Cleveland, has the link with Ciampa, and is feuding with Gunther. Duh. Uh, Miz got the hot tag and even hit a springboard crossbody, but Gunther just blasted him. Miz and Gargano hit stereo tornado DDTs, and Miz got Gunther in a figure four as Gargano countered Ludwig Kaiser into the Gargano escape. Giovanni Vinci tagged in while Gunther was being submitted, but Miz countered him into skull crushing finale for the win. The whole mystery partner aspect of this was really odd. It's not like it was a built up storyline where there was a six man challenge like last week and they needed to find someone or they got in a confrontation earlier in the night backstage and wanted to fight and they joked that, oh, you can't find a partner. Had they done something like that, this would have been a bigger deal. But I digress. The match was awesome, pun intended. It was fan service. Really smart to use Miz alongside DIY to get the bonus Cleveland pop as this DIY team continues to get built up. This is how you know, though, that Triple H is booking because Babyface is one in their hometown. What a novel concept. Uh, It feels like this should be the end of the DIY feud with Imperium. I hope it is. It's getting a little bit long in the tooth. All that said, this was an easy good. Yeah, it's a good. It it really felt like two weeks in a row, they just 
added some sort of stipulation type of thing just to make it a little bit more interesting. You know, last week it was two out of three falls or whatever. It's just just something. So it's not just a regular match. And this time you throw in, hey, mystery partner, eh, uh, just another reason to kind of add a little bit more interest. And I think it worked. I, I had a lot of fun with this. Miz being a, a face, you know, kind of to help him out. It continues to just kind of uh, do a good job with that. It was fun. And it set up Miz again. So, yeah, this was good. So Gunther criticized his guys later in the show. Miz demanded another Intercontinental Championship opportunity. Gunther agreed with the stipulation, which is what you're mentioning. If Miz loses that match, he can never challenge for the IC title again during the remainder of Gunther's reign. Makes perfect sense. It's a fine way to get another title match on TV before, hopefully, they build a new feud. And on that note, if you remember, I mentioned Kofi, Gable, and Ricochet earlier. Pierce told them he had something for them regarding the Intercontinental title. So it seems like we're going to get some number one contendership deal sooner than later. Who knows what it's going to be? I don't really have anything on this, Chris. Do you? Uh, not really. Okay. Um no, just see what happens. All right. Uh, Caden Carter and Katana Chance fought Indy Hartwell and Candice LeRae. Uh, the KC's got another EDM vignette. I feel like we've seen this five different times or they taped a bunch of footage and they just keep reusing it from that same EDM show. They said that their sights are set on the women's tag team titles. The champions were on commentary. Candice hit a step up sent on and an assisted flip over neck breaker with a botched cover break. Caden caught Candice with a kick and then they hit after party the assisted 450 for the win. This went like two minutes and 25 seconds. Again, the Casey's did not get to showcase their tandem offense other than the finisher, which at least they used the right finisher this time. But for some reason, no matter who is booking, the women's tag team titles just get the absolute worst creative. You cannot tell me that Triple H truly believes he is successfully building the Casey's by giving them two matches totaling eight minutes where they fight from under in both of them and don't get to showcase their offense. Last week, at least they got minimally acceptable time. They got a five-minute match. This week, it was rushed, poorly wrestled. It accomplished absolutely nothing. I love the KCs. I want them to get shine. I like Candice and Indy. I want them to get opportunities. And yet, this was hugely disappointing. Maybe it's all gonna come together. They're, they're gonna have a title match next week. But this did not work for me one iota. And I hate to say it, because it's the KCs who I think deserve TV time, but this was ugly. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. Why don't they have a name yet, the KCs? They've been a tag team forever. None of the women's tag teams have a name. None right, of them. But they, they, these two have been a tag team I for know. a while. I know. It's, it's weird. It's just, it, it's, it makes it a little just disconnecting a bit. And... Credit for at least trying the dance festival, music festival vignettes. Like it's it's something, you know. It's not it's not necessarily a, a character storyline you get behind, but they're it, they're trying. You know, at least they tried on that. But you're right. I, I would love to just see these two do just nonstop tag team moves together that they're really good at. Like that's that's their thing. Mm -hmm. Like that 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 would separate them. They are an incredible team look at all these team-based moves that they do everybody else in the division is just a collection of singles wrestlers exactly especially the, especially the tag team champions who are two completely different people 
that would be the story. Like, mm -hmm. can their teamwork overcome this other type of stuff? But they're just they're fighting from underneath the whole time. You're not really getting that. So I'm giving this a bad. But I did enjoy um, uh, the tag team champs on commentary with with Piper and Chelsea. Uh, They're pretty funny. What you said is exactly the right point. The differentiator for them as a team is they're actually a team. So they 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 match gear. They work well together in the ring. But if you're not going to show us that, then we don't, we have right now as viewers no reason to really root for them against Chelsea Green and Piper Niven next week. They they haven't done anything, and this is now three tag teams in a row, Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell, and then Natalia and Tegan Knox. And, and granted, with Natalia and Tegan Knox, they at least gave us some level of storytelling between them. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, I'll give them credit for that. But Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell are just like around doing absolutely nothing. The Casey's were off TV. Now they're back. They won. This is very AEW booking. You want someone to get a title match. You put them on TV. You give them two nothing wins in a row. And all of a sudden, they're number one contenders for a title. For, for a women's division is what I'm talking about. Uh, it's immensely frustrating. And by the way, what the hell happened to Unholy Union? They had like three vignettes over on SmackDown around Halloween going into early November. Those completely stopped. The women's tag team champions haven't gone over to SmackDown. I mean, maybe someone got hurt, I guess. But like, that just completely disappeared. So I'm... Look, there was five minutes of women's wrestling on Raw. As much as I enjoyed Raw on Monday night, and I did, there were five minutes of women's wrestling, and the women that we got wrestling were outside of Rhea Ripley, Maxine Dupree, the Casey's, Candice LeRae, and Indy Hartwell. And I, I'm not saying I dislike them as wrestlers, but they're not giving them any time. If Becky Lynch was in one of these matches, it would have had 8, 10, 12, 15 minutes. They're going to have to start giving more time to the lower people in the division. Otherwise, no one's ever going to give a shit about them. It's a big problem. They got to fix it. Let's move on. Uh, Bronson Reed fought Ivar. And look, man, we knew exactly what we were getting when this match began. Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping me tonight. Each guy got short pre-taped promos. They did a double crossbody ringside with Ivar doing a huge cannonball off the top rope outside. Then Bronson did a legit top rope superplex, draping an arm over Ivar as he fell onto the canvas for the one, two, three. The slow motion replay, it looked like the ring was a wave. It was absolutely yeah. wild. Uh, again, not necessarily a great match between them, but a good segment. There was a lot of beef out there. There's a lot of beef out here. And what did we get on Raw? <laughs> Big meaty man slapping meat. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that, and I want to see Monday Night Meat. This is Monday Night Meat. I also loved, Chris, that a damn superplex ended a match. We need more yeah. stuff like that across all of wrestling. So this gets four slabs of beef on the meaty meter. I just wanted another five minutes. That was it. Yep, this, this should be up there for meaty moment of the year in the meaties for sure. Uh, it was a good follow up that cannonball off the top rope. Like it that, outside the ring. Like that's crazy. If you, <laughs> if you think about it, it like, really is. He's not, he's not doing that into a pile of people. It, it just really shout out for him for, for doing that. And this was a lot of fun, a lot of meat out there. Lean into that type of stuff and, and people get behind it. Crowd was into this. Loved it. Good stuff. All right, folks. Well, that was the good, the bad and the ugly. So let's go ahead, wrap up this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast with the last word. 
So DJ, take the needle and just drop it on the record. We gon' have this poppin' in a second. That's why we always say the best cut last to make you scratch your niche for it like fresh cut grass. This one comes in from Sammy Redden at 50 Miles East. He said, Understanding you're grateful for all of your guests, do you prefer that a wrestler interviews as themselves or the kayfabe character? Follow-up, has that changed over the years since your newsletter days? I also understand you were much younger during the newsletter days. So obviously, um, Chris, I primarily do the interviews here, but you certainly do as well. But you, you've also interviewed a ton of wrestlers uh, for The Athletic and even part of the show you've gotten in on a couple recently. Uh, so let's go ahead and answer this. Um, there's almost never an occasion in which I want to interview a wrestler in kayfabe. There are two exceptions to that. One, prior to his um, health departure from WWE and eventually leading uh, to his death, of course, with Bray Wyatt, uh, I did have a pitch in with WWE to do a kayfabe interview of the Bray Wyatt character on the show. And I thought it was going to happen. And I was very excited about that. It was just going to be something totally different. And the reasoning for it was when I asked about interviewing him, they literally said he won't do it out of character. And I said, yes. I, and I said, well, okay. I go, how many places is he going to speak to in character? And he, they said, nobody. I said, well, he, he can come here. I would love to have that, that interview and have that conversation. The only other person. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Let ahead. me jump on that. Because I did a Bray Wyatt story for The Athletic about his football career back in the day. And I asked to interview him. And they said he would only do it in in uh, kayfabe. Right. And I, I think we couldn't we couldn't set it up anyway. I found an old interview of him talking about football that I ended up using. But I had that exact same situation you did. So, like, that would not have made sense for what you were doing, right? But for the show, for a special edition right. of the show, would have made all the sense in the world. So, like, that was something that would have been really cool. The only other person where I find it acceptable, I guess, to a degree is Paul Heyman, because what Paul wants you to do when you interview him is he wants you to basically break him out of the kayfabe. He wants to see, yeah. he wants to test you and see like, can you stand up to the bullshit that I'm giving you and like actually get real answers from me? Um, now that said, I prefer interviewing Paul Heyman when it's just completely straight and he's not in character because he's one of the most intriguing people in professional wrestling. But that's one of the situations where I can stomach it and push through. And if any of you heard my interviews with Paul Heyman on my old show, uh, you heard that transpire exactly. But other than that, uh, Sammy, there is no scenario really where I want to speak to any wrestler in kayfabe. What I find interesting about them is their real lives and their personalities, their likes and dislikes. I want their input on what's happened in their careers uh, and you know possibly their personal lives as well. Regarding the newsletter days, I didn't really interview a lot of wrestlers back then. When I did, it was usually like at an autograph signing or it was a unique circumstance where I saw a bunch of them. I, I forgot if I mentioned this when I talked about the newsletter however many episodes ago. Somewhere is a tape archive of one-on-one -on -one interviews with me and a tape recorder with like Mick Foley and Al Snow and like some other, wow. uh, D'Lo Brown and some other random wrestlers. If I can find it, I have no idea what the audio quality will be like. I have no idea what my voice will sound like. I have no idea if my questions were even good. Um, but if I can find any of those, maybe I'll put a couple clips on the show and we can play them. But even back then, I never wanted to interview them in kayfabe, nor did I. They were all real interviews back then. Uh, they're real interviews right now. And yeah, I, I don't have a stomach for like, there have been people that have come on the show and you guys have probably heard interviews with them. 
where like I ask a couple questions off the top and they try to kayfabe me. And, you know, I understand they're doing what they think is right. So it's no hate on them, but I do the best I can to get them out of that as quick as possible because I feel like it almost wastes the time of the listener. So hopefully that is an in-depth answer to your question. And Chris, I'm not sure if you had anything to really add to that. Yeah, most of the interviews I'm doing are for real life type of stories. So I want it to be real. You know, when I talked to Roman Reigns about his football career or uh, uh, various other people, um, Big E, a lot of it's like the real story because that's what I'm writing about. So I, I prefer to get that. When I talked to LA Knight at SummerSlam, his was kind of mixed but it's because the character is really him. Mm-hmm. It's one of those where like he, his real life is the character. Like that's just how he talks. Like, like he really is just kind of always like feels like he, he's got to push forward and people are trying to pull him back and all the like this is how he is. So it, it was a fun interview because like you could kind of like see where it was real and you could kind of ask a question that would kind of rile him up as he's talking about people doubting him and stuff like that. So like, I, I like that. And you're right. They've done some interviews. I think Charlotte Flair might've been one where, where they kind of kayfabe you and it's like, I kind of whatever. I mostly just want interesting answers. You know, like I, I get so I, I've enjoyed the press conferences that they do because sometimes you get really interesting answers. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you get terrible questions and you get a kayfabe answer and I hate it. But Cody is always really interesting on those press conferences. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Cena was Triple H, LA Knight. Jey Uso, like that's, I like those because they do a pretty good job of like blending kayfabe and reality. And I, th- I think it works for what they're trying to do. There are some instances when I do like a kayfabe interview, rare times, but uh, Broken Matt Hardy did an, did like an hour long interview on Jericho's podcast many years ago in his character. And it was incredible. It, it, it was truly hilarious and just remarkable stuff. And Jericho played along with it well. And there was one Dominic Mysterio did. I don't remember where it was, but he stayed in kayfabe, just talked about how tough his life was growing up because Ray was a terrible father and stuff like that. And it it, it, it popped me. It was pretty funny. So there, there are a couple instances where as a listener, as a as a consumer, I enjoy them. But in terms of me personally interviewing them, I very rarely, if ever, want that because it's not as uh, it's not as interesting and it's typically not what I'm going for. Yeah, no doubt. As a listener, if someone's on Jericho's podcast, not that I'm listening to that, no offense to him or the podcast, I just I'm not. Um, but if if it is meant to be that I'll listen to it, that's totally fine. But as an interviewer trying to do my job, no, I'm not interested in that. That's not that's it, not what I'm here yeah. to do. You know, like it, it was weird a couple weeks ago talking to The Undertaker out of kayfabe for the guy who was kayfabe forever, you know? Right. Uh, and he actually did a pretty good job. He, he's obviously done this for a long time for a guy who stayed in character for so long. His media training and ability to talk about different topics. I asked him about football. I asked him about CM Punk. He, great answers, great conversation. Um, but it was still kind of weird seeing that because it was. I'm still used to kayfabe undertaking. There are actually two wrestlers right now who really do... And you mentioned LA Knight, so I guess three, and Paul Heyman would probably be four if you include him. But there's two others, I guess I should say, who really do thread that needle. And it's Santos Escobar, who I've interviewed twice on the podcast, three times overall, where he doesn't talk in character, but he speaks, he he goes into an interview knowing that like, I am here for WWE. I am not here to just get my stuff out there in the world, get my opinions out there, right? So he's very careful in what he says. And the other one is Rey Mysterio, 
who keeps kayfabe as much as he possibly can. And he'll do interviews and he will speak and provide real answers about a variety of topics. But then if you ask him about something that's happening in or around television, he will kayfabe you. So like if you ask him about Dominic, are you proud uh, about how Dominic has progressed over the last year in WWE? He'll say, you know, it's interesting how much he's improved, but he's really hanging around with the wrong people. Like, you know what I mean? Like he'll give you like a real answer. I am proud of him, but in kayfabe, he's a piece of shit. You know what I mean? So like that would probably be okay. And I would take that if I got the opportunity to interview Rey Mysterio, uh, which we'll try to do because he is someone I would love to speak with. But in general, Sammy, to answer your question, I know we've gone on pretty long about this. Uh, Reality over kayfabe 95 to 99% of the time. Seth Rollins too. He he blurs the lines. He's done a couple of interviews about CM Punk, and you you read the transcript, and it's like, all right, this was kayfabe. This was not. He does right. a really good job of blending the two, which is I'm sure exactly what he wants to do and, and what WWE wants him to do. So he does a good job with it. I'd probably be annoyed if I was the one interviewing mm-hmm. him, but he he does that well. No doubt about it. All right, folks, that was the last word, and that was the latest WWE edition of the Getting Over wrestling podcast. Appreciate all of you tuning in once again on the way out. We're going to hit you with some schedule notes and some reminders. Let's start with the reminders first that the getting over wrestling podcast is all about defy. So do not forget to head on over to Apple podcasts and Spotify. Leave some five-star ratings for us on Apple. Take a little extra time, leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Give us a follow on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. You can also send us DMs and tweets with questions and comments that we will read on the show. And it's where you want to be for nominations and voting when it comes to the 2023 Getting Over Awards, aka the Medes. Please also remember, I happen to love the number. Five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. You get bonus audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling, instant reaction shows. You also will receive exclusive news posts every single Friday. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. In terms of what is coming up here on the show, we will be back Thursday with your next NXT and AEW show. We will do a second look at NXT Deadline. If you missed the show or missed the instant analysis for NXT Deadline, it is in the podcast archive. So make sure you go back and listen to it before Thursday's show. But we have an absolute ton to talk about. We will then be back one week from now, same bat time, same bat channel for your next WWE episode. And once We get to the end of December into early January 2024. We will have two special shows coming up for you. The 2023 year in review that will come first and then the 2023 getting over awards, a.k.a. The Mideys. All that coming up right here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Thank you once again for listening to today's show for Vintage Chris Vanini. This is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.